0: Jesus loved to teach in parables. Um, he would take images and um, and pictures that were familiar to people um, that would create a phys- that would uh, in a physical sense, and he would do this to to speak to a much deeper spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. Jesus tells a story. He shows up in Matthew 13, and he and he begins to tell this this parable. Um, that would have really stuck with the original audience, that, that this would have stirred something deep in them. And so Jesus has a crowd gathered and he uses this opportunity to invite them into a further understanding of, of who he is and what is going on all around them, whether they can see it or whether they can hear it or not. He's talking about his kingdom. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he says, a man went out to sow his seed and, and, and he went out and, and he sowed his seed. And this is the way that produce works. This is the way if you grew up on a farm, this is the way it works. You plow the ground and you get things ready and you you take the seed and and it goes into the ground and then your job is done for a while. You wait on the rain, you wait on the sunshine. The story that starts out that Jesus is telling this day, it seems that everything is going well, things are going as they should. And then it gives us this detail that during the middle of the night, an enemy sneaks into the field and he sows weeds in the field. I learned this week that this actually happened in the first century. And we know this because it was punishable punishable by Roman law. So Rome was the top dog in the first century. And and if they discovered, if if, if you were doing this to other people's fields, uh, you're gonna be extremely punished. I also learned this week that this still happens in poor countries all over the world. That enemies in the middle of the night will go into their opponent's fields and they'll sow weeds. And, And you think about this. This is so much more than a prank, right? Growing up, maybe you did this or maybe you had this happen to you. If you're, you're driving to school and you notice that in one of your friend's yards, there's toilet paper everywhere, like all over the trees. And, and you know that they just, they got pranked the night before, right? And, and that's annoying, right? And that's frustrating. But, but, but this is so much more than a prank. What Jesus is describing here this is in our kind of context. This is someone that, that, that finds out that, that you drive Lyft for a living and so while you're sleeping, they go and they put water in your gas tank. Or this is someone that discovers what you do for a living and, 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 and they take the grades that you've collected from your students or, or they get the data that you've collected from, from years of research or the charts that you just filled out the night before as you made your rounds and they completely just mess with all the numbers. This is so much more than just a prank. It is sneaky, it's cruel, it's venomous. Jesus continues telling the story. He says, for a while, no one knew what happened. So one day the workers go to the field and they notice that in this field, it's not just wheat that's growing, there are weeds that are growing up with it. And so they're alarmed, they're concerned, they go to their master, they say, what is going on here? I thought you, you sowed wheat, what is, what's going on in the field? And he is so just matter of fact about it. There's no, uh, there's no uncertainty, he knows exactly what had happened. He knows exactly that in his hands was good seed, in his hands was, was good stuff, things that would lead to, to fruit and to life. And he looks at his servants and he says, an enemy did this. And I love that the servants are so eager to do something about it. Hey, can we go pull up all the weeds? And listen to what he says in verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then in verse 36, it says, then Jesus left the crowd. Listen to this. He left the crowd and he went into the house and his disciples came to him. You know, there's this contrast that, we're, that you see here in Matthew 13 between the crowds and the disciples. That the crowds were, were all about showing up. they were all about the show. Like they love listening to Jesus teach. They love seeing the miracles. They, they love being fed by Jesus, literally what Andrew talked about last week. Like who wouldn't wanna be a part of, of, of that? But Matthew is, is drawing a distinction here. He's helping us see that there is a, a clear distinction between the crowds and those who are actually following Jesus, the disciples. And there's a moment where Jesus sends the, the crowds away, but notices what he, what, notice what he does with the disciples. He never does that with the disciples. That there's a point where, where intimacy is drawn There's a place where where the crowds are sent home or sent away, but Jesus never does that with his disciples. He's giving us this beautiful insight about his followers, that his, his followers, they always have a place at his feet for their questions. They always have a place at his feet for companionship. You see, the disciples learned something the crowds had yet to learn. Jesus wasn't just there to entertain them. He was more than a show. He was the one who held and who had everything in life they were looking for. Jesus was everything. That's discipleship. That's what we're going after. And Jesus explains this to his disciples who are confused about his parable. They're so familiar with the story of the concept, but they have no idea of the spiritual deeper application. And so he unpacks that in verse 37. He says, the one who sowed the good seed is a son of man. It's a nickname for Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. And so he is connecting all the dots for us, what everything means, all this symbolism in the story. And he says this in verse 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Quick observation before we take this in and unpack this story a little bit more. This is important for us to know that, that it's Jesus who is telling us this. You know, this is, a, this is a hard teaching to hear, right? Like I didn't hear any of you laughing and giggling and stand up and clapping after I read this text, right? It's, it's hard to digest. Especially if we take it in and we think about what Jesus is actually telling us. You know, there are a lot of easier passages, a lot more digestible passages in the Bible. And so often we, we do that as Christians. We do that with the Lord. We kind of have this ability to, to create a Bible within the Bible where we love to hold up the parts that make us feel good, the parts that, that we're comfortable with, the parts that, that validate all the things that we already believe and want. And then it's so easy to just ignore the parts that we don't like that make us uncomfortable. We do this in our personal lives. We love to read books and articles and surround ourselves with people that make us feel good, people that think like us. And the danger that happens when we do this with Jesus, okay, the danger when we pick and choose, when we elevate certain things and push down other things that we don't like is that we are actually creating a Jesus that is not Jesus. We're cutting and pasting. We're we're creating a Jesus that serves us, that bows to us, that answers to us. We're creating a much more palatable, much more easy to follow Jesus. In fact, a Jesus that really aligns with everything that we believe, right? And we miss out on the actual Jesus. But what's so beautiful so beautiful i'm so convinced been following jesus for a long time now is that if we will actually look at what jesus is telling us even if it's uncomfortable it is good and we learn so much about his heart you know in our culture there there is this this mystery that surrounds death pick up books right Watch the news, man, there is just this cloud, this anxiety, this fear that that surrounds death. And so, so many people, they don't, they don't wanna go there. They don't wanna think about that. They don't wanna think about life. And so they just kind of manage to ignore it their whole lives. And, and life is all about eating and drinking and, and just living in the moment. It's this humani- humanist mentality. And some can manage to live this way their entire lives, to just ignore the the harder things, the deeper things. And others all throughout life, there's just this bubbling, this this rising up inside of them. And and I'm saying all this, I know it's hard to hear, but the reason I'm talking through this is because what we see in Jesus is that death is not a mystery to to our king. That, That he speaks with certainty and he speaks clearly. And if we'll see this, that we see his love for us and that he reveals to us the things that are coming. Think about that. As as his followers, as his disciples, he doesn't leave us in the dark to wonder. He tells us the things that are coming, and even though we might not agree with it, even though we might not like it, I hope we can at least appreciate the fact that he doesn't withhold important information from us. Do you see his kindness in that? Do you see his care for us in that? You know, thinking about just an analogy to kind of help us connect here. Growing up, you, you always, um, this was like the worst moment when you would show up at school and your teacher's like, we have a test today, right? And you're like, you didn't tell us. I didn't study. There's no way I can cheat off my friend. They're not here beside me today. Like it's the, the, the worst moment when, when you walk into a moment and you're not prepared. But you think about when, when your teacher said, hey, you've got a test coming up in two weeks. Even though you might not like it, It gives you a chance to to align your life around that reality. And Jesus, the one who loves us, he wants us to understand, okay, that there is a day that everything in this life is moving towards. Think about the way that an election works. On election day, everything in that season is leading up to it. There's campaigning, there are ads everywhere, there's slogans, and it's all building to this one decisive day. And on a much bigger scale, he's wanting us to understand that everything in this life, this moment, the, the, the afternoon that you're gonna have, whatever you're gonna be doing, walking your dog around some lake somewhere, that everything in this life is pointing to this one moment, the moment that Jesus Christ returns, that everything in life is is building for this one moment. We will stand face-to-face with Jesus Christ, the son of the living God who is alive and well. And Jesus unpacks for us that on that day when we stand face-to-face with Jesus, several things are gonna happen. Number one, he says this in verse 41. He says that on that day, everything that causes sin will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is actually a really good thing, and I'm gonna unpack why in just a minute. Before I do, I wanna explain something that would have made sense to the first century Jews. And so this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, was actually a Jewish way of, of talking about the fate of the ungodly. So Matthew, the one who's writing this book, he was culturally Jewish. He becomes a disciple of Jesus, becomes a follower, and he is writing to other Jews. The, the, the whole book of Matthew, and you'll notice this, how many um, Old Testament references and quotes um, are in the book of Matthew, and he's doing this because he's writing to a specific Jewish audience in hopes that they will turn to Jesus and find life in Jesus. And so the first century Jews would have been reading this and and they would have heard these words weeping and gnashing of teeth and they would have known exactly what it was that Jesus was talking about, that he was talking about a place of misery, a place where God's judgment is inflicted. He says on that day, everything that causes sin will be thrown into that place. And here's what he's talking about. Everything that causes sin is this. Any cause that results in a person sinning, whether by preventing righteous action or by promoting sinful behavior. And this is good news for us, okay? That what he's saying is that the systems of of control, the things that affect us, whether we know it or not, the things that affect our brothers and sisters all over the world, that are our systems that stand against the purposes of God, all those things will be destroyed. They will be dealt with. They'll be exposed. They'll be overturned. And so you think about countries all over the world where literally it's illegal to worship King Jesus, where it's illegal to, to gather and to worship and, and, and you can be punished, you can be killed, that is a system that he's talking about, a system that is prohibiting people from, from stepping into fullness of life that God intended. He said, there will be a day where all of those systems are exposed for what they are. Though they are strong in the face of man, they're weak in the face of God, and they will be thrown. They will be overturned. It says things that, that cause us to sin. You think about the things in your life that cause you to sin. Things that affect us. The culture that we live in, the culture that we live in that, that teaches that, that lying and covering up and hiding is the way to handle things. We exposed. The things that we get caught up in that lead us away from the king. Systems we throw into the blazing furnace. But I also want us to notice this, it's, it's more than just the systems that will be destroyed. He says this hard line in verse 31, he says, or in verse 41, he says, and all who do evil. And he's talking about people. He's talking about real people, people made in the image of God. His, this this word in the original language is the word lawlessness. And he says all those who are, 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 are lawless. It's the state of being or behaving in open defiance to the law. And Jesus, because he loves us, he wants us to know the truth. And I think what we see here is that That God doesn't just want to get rid of the symptoms, the symptoms of evil in the world. God is going to eventually deal with the sources of evil as well. You know, when our kids are sick, we don't just treat their their runny noses, right? Right? We don't just treat the, 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 the symptoms you go after the thing that is making them sick. And God has the ability to to look at all of humanity, every man and every woman, and he sees in their hearts. And he knows that there are, in some hearts, people that are working against the very things that God is working for. And you and I, we don't have the ability to discern this in real time. Like we get glimpses of it. He tells us that you'll know a a tree by its fruit, but the reality is that we don't see into the heart like Jesus does. That you and I, we are terrible judges. This passage in 2 Samuel where it says that man, he makes makes judgments based on outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. We're terrible judges. We're terrible judges of character and people. We would be terrible judges in the day of eternity, but God is not. And God knows that there are people that as much as God is trying to win their hearts over, that as much as God is trying to convince them that he is good, that he is for them, that he loves them, there are peoples whose hearts are unwilling to bend. They're working against the things of God. And Jesus lays out that in this life, there are two paths. He says, you're, you're a righteous person. And if you're a righteous person, this is your fate." He says, "Or you're an evil person. And this is your fate. And we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to think about that. But we miss out on the fullness of Jesus' ministry, who he is, when we look at that and we go, that's too hard to deal with. Okay, that's some hard news. Here's the good news. We were... Some still are, all weeds. Every single one of us, we're a weed. Every single one of us, evil. You know, as good as Deb is, as good as she is, you know, giving her life to serving these kids, Deb was a weed. As amazing of a woman as my wife is, as much as she loves the Lord and loves this church and loves the kingdom, there was a moment in her life where she was a weed. And on God, you spent a lot of your life being a weed. And Brandon has spent a lot of his life being a weed. We were all weeds. We were all going down this path where we were out for our own good, where we cared nothing about the things of God. We cared about elevating ourselves. We cared about making a name for ourselves, about accumulating all these things for us, about elevating us. We were all weeds. But Jesus. But Jesus. There's a moment And maybe it wasn't an instant moment, but for those of you who are disciples of Jesus, who followed Jesus, where you realized that you were a weed and that you needed Jesus. There's a moment where you realize that you didn't just need him, but you wanted him. And what started this is that you came to understand that Jesus, that the Father, the Holy Spirit had full knowledge of who you are and what you've done They've seen everything that you've done, every lawless act, every lawless word in God's heart, God's posture towards you in that moment was not to destroy you. His heart, his posture towards you and towards me was I want you. And even though you've been evil and even though you've been lawless, I want you in my kingdom. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, it clicked It caught, the wood was there, everything was waiting and the fire finally came and we realized, oh my goodness, Jesus is the one this life was made for. But here's the deal. All of us who were weeds, we had this problem, right? All this sin, all this this baggage, all this stuff. And one of the things that we know about God is our God is a God of justice. And we want that. We want God to be a God of justice. Evil has to be punished, right? When, when, when we see evil in our world, we want evil to be dealt with. When someone hurts us, we want justice. You think about the evil that is in our world, man. We, we, it's not okay for human trafficking to be okay. For the people that are perpetuating human trafficking, it is not okay and for us to be like, okay, it's, it's not a big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It's sin, it's lawlessness. God is a God of justice. And we want God to be a God of justice for the, the evil that we see in the world. But the reality is that so often we want God to deal casually with our sin. We want the God of justice out there. We don't want the God of justice in here. Sin has to be dealt with. God refuses. It is against his nature, our holy God, to just let us come into his presence, bearing all of our sin, acting like nothing happened. We were the weeds. And the consequence, the punishment for our weedness is destruction. That's what he's helping us understand here. And the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus is that Jesus took our punishment, the punishment for all of our lawlessness, all of our defiance, he laid it on Jesus. He laid all of it on Jesus, every sin every time our hearts hard told God no, every word that came out of our mouth that, that tried to tear other people down, everything that we've done that we don't want anyone else to find out about God has laid on Jesus the punishment for all of that. And what happens in someone's life when you realize all of that is transformation. What happens is this union with Jesus that the weed in us is put to death that what you did is done. And the scriptures tell us in Romans chapter six that, that, that who we were is dead and who we are, we are given new life. Ezekiel 36, we're given a new heart. We become brand new people. The wheat is put to dead. We become wheat. It's this beautiful transformation. And I love what Jesus says about the wheat in verse 43. He says, then the righteous... And by the way, the only way that you become righteous is through Jesus. You don't become righteous because you show up to church on Sundays. And you don't become righteous because you read your Bible. And you don't become righteous because you do things like last week and you go to Kroger and you buy groceries for hungry people. You become righteous only through Jesus, only through Jesus. Only through turning to Jesus only through surrendering your life to Jesus, only through the waters of baptism, only through submitting your life to following him as Lord, only Jesus. He says the righteous, listen to this, will shine like the sun. As hard as it is to think about the, the fate of, of, of evil, that there will be punished, he says, but you need to know that the choice is yours. He says, you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. And I have two little girls, have a boy too, and one of the things that we do, at, or one of the things that I do at, at nighttime, is I'll lay with my two oldest kids. My oldest is a little girl, my next is a little boy, and and I'll tell them bedtime stories. And so my son wants to hear a story about you know monster trucks or about him being the hero or something like that. And Finley, my oldest daughter, she wants to hear stories about her being a princess. So every story ends up with her being in the palace, right? Like, she's also the hero. It's just a little bit different, right? And I've realized telling my daughter and my son bedtime stories at night, man, that that we all wanna be in the kingdom. It's what Disney has managed to tap into so well. Man, we wanna be included in the kingdom. We wanna matter in the kingdom. And you need to know that you do matter to the king. You matter to the king. You matter to the king, Todd. You need to know that. You matter to the king. And Kate, you matter to the king. And Kevin, you matter to the king. I go around the room. Christy, you matter to the king. Melissa, you matter to the king. And the king of the universe, Randy, is crazy about you. And he wants you with him forever in his kingdom. You and I were made for the kingdom. And the king wants us there. Here in just a minute, we're going to take communion, and I want to invite you to really examine your life. Would you to ask the question: Am I wheat? And it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that, that you never sin, that you never have evil thoughts, never do evil things. I want to ask you, are you, are you weak, man? When, when you stumble, when you sin, is Jesus Lord of your life? Are you quick to repent? Are you, are you trying to align your life under the lordship of Jesus and his teachings and his words, that, that if that's the posture of your heart, then you're not evil, you're not a weed, and the enemy wants to convince you of that. If, if you look at your life and you go, man, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus, you're, you're weak, and I want to invite you to examine, am I, am I weed or am I wheat? And we're going to take communion and, and I want to invite you. If, if you come here today and you go, I am, I'm a weed. But I don't want to be. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to love Jesus. There'll be some men and women at the respond banner in the back. We would love to walk with you. We'd love to help you. It's the greatest joy is to see people step into the kingdom. But it's not just about us, okay? We're gonna do that in community, but I want us to to think about this. Our our series for the fall that we're in as a church family is called For the City. And the idea that we're honing in on is that that the blessings of God were always intended to flow through the people of God to a city into a world that does not know or care about God. And for us as Christians, man, as we look at at Jesus's life and the way that he lived, as you examine his ministry, his life, like his life was so much more than just about having quiet time with God. And we've deduced following Jesus down to that so often. Like, I've been guilty of that. Man, that Christ's ministry on earth was driven by this reality that this world is full of people that don't know God, that don't care about God, and yet Jesus knows that there is a God who wants all of his kids back with him in his kingdom. And that drove him. He knew that there are two paths that people found themselves on, but it wasn't just Jesus. You look at the lives of the apostles. And it wasn't this play it safe mentality. That way of thinking that has crept into the American church, like just make sure I take care of me. Let's just make sure I hold on and don't lose faith and don't say a cuss word and and, and show at church every Sunday. We've made it into this just, just hold on mentality. And that is not what the apostles did. You read in the book of Acts and it says that Peter and John to the apostles, man, they went to the Jewish people, people who hadn't oriented their lives around Jesus. And they said, you need to know that spiritual heritage is not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven, that you need Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, it says that the apostles were called in by the authorities and they were flogged. And it says that they left there rejoicing. Literally, they got beat up and they left rejoicing. And it says that the first thing they did in Acts chapter 5 is they continued to go every single door telling people about who Jesus is. Every single person is on one of two paths one that leads to life, one that leads to destruction. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, you need to understand that there was a point where someone cared about you when you were a weed. And they cared enough about you to pray for you and to speak the truth to you and to invite you into the family. They invited you to church. They invited you into their lives. And the reason, part of the reason that you are a, a, a piece of wheat now is because someone cared about your eternal salvation. And I go, may we may we give our lives to this. <laughs> may we give our lives following Jesus and following the path that the apostles laid out for us and let go of this, hey, let's just hold on mentality. Let's just take care of us and to realize the severity of what Jesus is talking about. May we give our lives praying and serving and sharing our faith and our whole lives so that people who are weeds will become wheat. And I just kept thinking, well, one at a time, one at a time, as we leave here today, this is our mission. This is a reality, whether we want to acknowledge it or not whether we want to think about this, that that we have the ability to to help change the, the the course of people's lives. What will we do with it? What will we do with it? Let me pray for us. God, God, we just need you to help us. God, we need these words to soak down into our hearts in Scripture. Not my words, but your words. God, we need you to help us to be shaped by this story. God, we want to be people that that care about all people. And we want to be bold. We want to share our faith. We want to pray with people. We want to see people come to know you. We want to see people come to know you the way that we know you. God, we just need your help. God, and we, we come here today as a church family and, and we just confess that all the times that we've just thought about ourselves and the times that we've, we've tried to serve a lesser God and Lord, I pray that you would forgive us And that we would repent. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that just follow in your footsteps. God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would continue just to draw the world to yourself. And that our greatest joy in life would be seeing people come into the kingdom. More than getting married, more than starting new jobs, more than... Graduating college, more than having children, more than retiring, God, our greatest joy would, be, would see people be united with you as their as their weedness is put to death and they come alive as we. God, there's so much that's working against us in our culture, in America, the affluence. The... God, would you give us eyes for your kingdom? Would you take our church family? And would you use us as a light to the city? Would you help us to be? exactly what you want us to be. Thank you for your words, Jesus. Anything that I said today that is not from you, would you just allow it to be forgotten? I am a work in progress. God, but the things that are from you, don't let us forget them. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.